You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Hey everybody, uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of your elders here and very excited to be sharing this morning with you from John, uh, this farewell discourse. Now, I don't remember exactly when John chapter 17 gripped me for the first time. I know it was in my 20s, but I do remember vividly why. It was clear that Jesus had me in mind when he prayed. He said, I pray for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That, That really gripped me. He prayed for me. And what did he pray? I pray that they will all be one. I felt gripped even tighter. See, I've always struggled with feeling like I belong. But here I saw that Jesus wants me to belong. Now, I've always also been very highly idealistic. So I'm always looking for the purpose and meaning in things. And here... I could see why Jesus was praying these things. Right at the heart of the prayer, Jesus clearly states his purpose for praying for me and my fellow believers that we would be unified. He says, so that the world will know that you sent me. New New Living actually says, so that the world will believe you sent me. Now it's more than gripped. I felt commissioned. Clear as a bell, I saw the equation in my head. Unity in the church equals people saved. I say commissioned, but it was more like a slow revelation over the course of several months to a few years where God drew me back to this passage over and over. And he showed me that he had made me uh, and gifted me to work in this part of his vineyard uh, to help nurture the unity of the body and the Great Commission was beginning to open up to me in ways I've never really thought about I was beginning to see that I indeed have been made to participate in the Great Commission and already was in ways that I hadn't considered before so you may be like me wondering if I'm doing my part in taking the gospel to the non-believer. We compare our skills and our actions to someone who is obviously very passionate and very good at doing this, always sharing stories of how they shared the gospel last week. And then we think about how we did not. It's just so difficult to get out of our American individualistic mindset here. But Jesus blows it up in chapter 17. Here we see that connection to Jesus and to one another is primary. And then the result is that the world will believe that God the Father sent God the Son into the world. So now it's time to ask, what does this have to do with John 15? Well, everything, of course, but I'll try to connect the dots 
between uh, some things um, by pointing out some of the some of the ways it ministered to me in this time of my life. So I remember the first time that it was pointed out to me that 13 through 17 was one long conversation and one long episode of just a few hours. And when you realize that it's not just any old set of few hours, but it's among the most pivotal few hours in all of history, you should be able to conclude that these are pretty important words. Uh, and that's to put it mildly. That's why Brad's been saying, read 13 through 17 every week. And it may sound a bit funny or formal when you hear it called the farewell discourse, but I do think of this as a deathbed speech of sorts. Imagine your grandfather on his deathbed. In other words, these five chapters contain very important words. Now, being very process-oriented as well, I need to know how things work. You know, the purpose is extremely important, but I want to know how is that purpose fulfilled? How do we, how do we get there? Now, I particularly wanted to know how this purpose that John 17 laid out, that Jesus laid out there in his prayer, how was that met? Now, I've been in church my whole life. I know that it's met through the preaching of the gospel. But where is that in my life? Do I measure up? Am I a good Christian? Do I do a good job at this? Do I make opportunities to do this? Is it really as important to me as it should be? And on and on. It was chapter 15, especially the analogy of the vine, that just reached out and grabbed me in the midst of these questions. And it was especially significant that God used this chapter in my life. Because, see, this was one of those tricky places in Scripture for me growing up. I'd always walk away from sermons or other teachings or even my own readings here, and especially verses 1 through 8, and I would just hear, be a good Christian, behave, or you'll be cut off, essentially hellbound. I needed a better gospel than that. I just wasn't going to behave. Uh, the truth of the matter is I'm not spiritually clean. And all I could hear is that no fruit equals being cut off from the vine and burned. But here's some good news. God is faithful, and He didn't want me to remain in that incorrect understanding. He continued to gently bring my attention to the context of the entire conversation and pointed out the words that I kept missing. The analogy of the vine just drew me in. Here is process. The vine is the source of nourishment for the whole plant. Branches can't produce anything apart from the vine. Grapes grow only if the branches are alive. But it was more than just the analogy. Verse 3 just kept demanding my attention. The ESV reads, Already you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. What does that even mean? There were very attractive words, of course, because, remember, I realized that I wasn't clean. 
clean and grapes furthermore just didn't go together clean and grapevines what is that about it just didn't make sense to me having done a bit of research though I found that clean in the ESV mapped to words like purified okay prepared pruned and I looked at the New Living Translation, which uses pruned. It says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Hmm. Already you are clean. Already you are pruned. Already you are purified. Already you are prepared. Things were beginning to make sense. Pruning is basic to gardening. Even I know that. Preparing the branch to bear fruit is key. Now, I remember growing up that God prunes us from time to time. In love, of course. To my younger self, though, it just meant hurt or pain or loss. Something that made us realize our need for God. Which is right, but maybe not a complete enough understanding of what Jesus is saying here. He's using a pretty simple analogy. Pruning is so that fruit will grow. But I couldn't see the simplicity of it all because I was messed up in the head trying to connect it all to my own experience and my own understanding. I'm still worried that I'm not doing enough, not working hard enough, not producing enough fruit I was excited about what I was learning though, so what to do? I actually was so excited that I wanted to teach uh, on this passage, and I got the opportunity to do so, and I knew exactly what I was going to say about it. I realized though that I ought to check some resources to confirm that I indeed was going to join the greats of history with my obviously correct insights about the about this part of the uh, scriptures. I'll let you figure out how that one went. Um, what I really found was that there's so much more depth and meaning than I'll ever, ever be able to fathom uh, here. To this day, with each fresh reading, there are new insights, um, different facets that light up, new and, you know, threads of thought, and many more questions. One insight for me was that chapter 15 begins the part of the conversation as they left the upper room uh, just after the Passover meal. It's surmised that the temple would be in view along their path. And around the roof line of the temple is a golden vine. It could be that Jesus pointed to it. No words would be necessary. Every person there knew exactly what that was about, but then pointed to himself. It's me. It always has been. And I have revealed and am now revealing more to you, my chosen ones, that I am the true vine. It's your connection to me, not merely being a member of the nation of Israel, it's your connection to me through which your life comes and through which my message will go to others.
Another insight was that fruit bearing was more than just good behavior. Jesus says, I've prepared you by the word I've deposited in you. This, prep, this preparation has to do with fruit bearing. Um, Terry Bass in our home group mentioned that he has a grapevine. And so we were asking, well, tell us about what it's like to take care of it. And he said, uh, you know, when I finally read about how to do it, he's, I was taught to prune the branch all the way back to where the first bud was. He said, I did it and I thought I'd killed it. Um, but he said that year the fruit production was more than it ever had been the prior few years of trying to learn how to do it. Now, most certainly the fruit in our life is Christ-likeness and, and our spiritual gifts that are growing. Um, but these gifts are for the purpose of yielding something in another's life. The fruit hanging on the branches is new believers. Back to chapter 17. So that the world will know that you sent me. Well, so that the world would know that and believe that you sent me. The branches have the words of Christ in them. It's the words of Christ and the Holy Spirit giving understanding to them that produces new believers. Not my ability or inability to share the gospel. The next insight is always a tough one for me. Jesus is not speaking to me in this conversation. Well, he is, but not immediately. I wasn't there. Jesus was speaking to a few select Israelites. Every one of them probably very intimately aware of every aspect of grape growing. So when he speaks of cutting off dead parts of branches, pruning living ones, and the goal of producing more fruit, the analogy is not lost on them. I first need to understand what Jesus' words here mean. Not what they mean to me. I can't read my experience into the story. I must start with the story itself. So the last insight for today. Um, Jesus intensely focused on being and remaining or abiding in Him. Like He is in the Father. Fruit on the branch. Branch on the vine. The true vine in the Father, the gardener. Me in the vine through the Word faithfully. And He reminded them that they weren't merely born into the vine or smart enough to decide to jump up into it but that He chose them. And we can say the same. The same pattern continues as the Holy Spirit continues to appoint new believers to the church body in the mission of producing lasting fruit. He chooses, and He's God. Grapes will grow on the branches of His vine. So, if He chose me and place me in the vine, he will see to it that fruit comes to maturity. And I, as a member of his body, connected to him via the true vine, excuse me, 
connected to him, the true vine, via his word, I'll be so much more part of his purpose than I could have ever imagined possible. Because I'm in the master gardener's hand and I'm connected to the only and true source of real life. And again, what's the purpose of it all? I'm reminded of how Jesus expresses it in his prayer in John chapter 17. To the Father, he says, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you have loved me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed them, excuse me, I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Okay, we're going to move into the uh, kind of a question and answer session here uh, with this highly distinguished panel that uh, has joined us, uh, Bert and David, you guys know them well, but um, I'll let you guys, you know, say your names and, you know, what you, what you do in the church for anyone else who's watching. Uh, my name is Bert Wallace. I'm one of the elders at Grace. I've been at Grace since I think the second Sunday that I moved to Bowie's Creek, which was back in 2002. So I've been around for a long time, uh, and uh, I'm happy to be part of this panel tonight. I'm David. I'm pastor for Creative Arts, and I've been at Grace since 1999 when I started attending as a student at Campbell University. I'm also very grateful to be able to pitch in a little bit tonight. Thanks, and again, my name's Scott, and I'm one of the elders as well. I've been uh, since going to Grace since 2004. So got some long timers here. So just want to bridge uh, back to the message a little bit um, and just kind of conclude the thought and open up some questions here. Um, the message really was about how God used this, this uh, farewell discourse and especially chapter 15 to move me from a Scott-centric view of scripture uh, to a more of a Jesus-centric at the end of the day, and basically asking what is God's purpose in this, not just what is he saying to me, but what is he saying, and um, I began to find that I wasn't even asking the right questions. Uh, there were way better questions that I could be asking, and I found I had needs that, that I never really realized, and you know, the, the answers to those questions and the answers to the real needs are found in the heart of, of this discourse right here. Um, and he reminds me that I'm loved. You know, his life has proved it. He reminds me that I'm his. 
And really helpful to me, he reminds me that his ability to grow grapes, uh, to produce fruit in me is, it, it just far surpasses my ability or inability um, to be a good Christian, so to speak. So, you know, it's encouraging to know that fruit will be produced in my life if I am a believer. Um, my job is simply to remain, to, to abide in him, to listen to him and to wait, but do so diligently and actively. So um, on that note, we'll hop back to, uh, you know, a few points in the message. I, I mentioned I shared insights. One was about the temple itself, that, that they would have been on the walk out from the upper room after the Passover meal. They, they very likely had the temple in view. And if you've never heard about this, the temple has this, this uh, in Jesus' time, had this golden grapevine. Um, and it's, it's huge. David was showing us uh, this as we were preparing to discuss these things. And it's hanging in the archway. And I think there were even like vines around the roof line that were golden. Uh, one re- one uh, commentator I read said it's that maybe the moonlight was gleaming off of these golden leaves and, and golden bunches of grapes. And Jesus pointing to them and then making reference back to himself. Basically, he's saying... When he, when he says, I'm the true vine, he's saying, it's your connection to me that matters, not simply that you are a member of the nation of Israel. That's not what connects you to God, the Father. It's me, faith in me, uh, belief in me, um, coming to me for your needs to be met, coming to me for the source of life. So that was, that was just really huge to me. Um, and, and very helpful that, and, and exciting. I mean, Jesus was pointing out something just like, just like he did everything. He was pointing uh, to the Seder mill and said, I got some new meaning for you here. And by the way, this, this grapevine that you're so proud of, it's really me. So, you know, I found that to be uh, paradigm shifting. Um, we talked about a message being given here. Jesus says, I speak my word into you. I'm depositing my word into you. Words are spoken into these branches. Um, and this message itself has prepared the branches, these disciples, for bearing fruit. Um, fruit only comes because the words were deposited there. So if Jesus, um, and this question is to either of you, if Jesus is likening himself to a vine and the disciples to branches, and then the fruit, well, I think it's probably to both outward visible signs of our spiritual fruit, like, um, but also as new believers. What do you think you'd like in the words or the message to in this analogy? Hmm. Well, uh, uh, sorry about that. The, uh, I was thinking of the, the vine you know, a literal vine being like a, a conduit. That's the word that comes to my mind. It's, you know, a conduit that's distributing nutrients and life, you know, to the branches and to the fruit. Um, and so to me, the word is like the life that's flowing through uh, the the vine into the branches. It's the this life-giving, you know, a power 
Yeah, as Jesus is, is teaching in this whole section, um, he's talking about the Holy Spirit multiple times through this discourse as well. And I think the Word and the Spirit are always connected. We always see that connection through um, the way the Scripture teaches. So you can then see the vine being the conduit for the Holy Spirit to work through the Word in bearing fruit in the branches. Um, so I love thinking about that connection of, you know, nutrients and even water being yeah. flo- flowing through the vine and, and the way that, that pictures the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and Tim Metz, who was a member of Grace a while back and now is uh, on staff with uh, uh, Western Carolina, he is a botanist and had he he had fully developed this analogy and looked at all the ways throughout Scripture how water and spirit are power flowing through all this, the agricultural imagery of plants. Um, and so Tim could probably wax way more eloquent uh, discussing how the vine would, would be a way that we understand the Holy Spirit working through us to bring us everything we need to bear fruit. Absolutely. So another thing that was paradigm shifting for me was, like I said, moving from a Scott-centric view trying to read myself into the scripture versus a Jesus centric and just asking the question, well, what is it he's saying here? Um, I don't know why it was, you know, became apparent to me, but the spirit opened my eyes and said, stop for a second. You are not in the crowd walking with Jesus during this conversation. What was Jesus saying to the disciples in that moment was what's important. And I had to understand the context. And then I could bring myself into the picture and say, okay, well, what does this mean for me as a 20th, 21st century, you know, American at the end of the day? So, you know, when did you first begin to understand scripture in this way, you know, by looking at what it says and not merely just to, to have your needs met? I don't know if I could pinpoint a moment um, per se. I think it's a necessary part of maturing in the faith, like the progress from milk to meat. Mm. Um, There are times when, you know, like those, those cute little concordances in the back of a like gift Bible that have, if you're sad, read this. If you're upset, read this. If you're um, doubting, read this. Like there are times when, that is exactly what somebody actually needed to, to hear and to read is to see this in the scripture that, that does address these the felt needs of all of human existence. Um, but the more that we mature, um, the larger that, uh, that Christ becomes in our view, I think um, the more that we, the more that we see him, less we see ourselves in the text as we're reading it too. Um, so that when we, approach a text, the, the benefit may be that it brings us joy in our sadness, but the, the deeper truth of it is what it exalts about Jesus. And then we get the benefit as well. Um, instead of going for the benefit, um, we see Jesus first. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a, a thing that happens over time as we mature and continue to grow in discipleship. I imagine for me, it was probably in the process of 
undergrad or grad school, you know, while taking church membership seriously, while being in a home group setting, um, you know, studying seriously religion while I was an undergrad, um, being under the teaching of Brad and leadership of the elders at Grace. Like when I was in that context, it, it allowed for that kind of maturity to happen and helped that shift, I think, to happen in me. Well, I was very fortunate, I would say, <clears throat> to grow up uh, with expository preaching, sitting under expository preaching, uh, and then as, as a child and teenager, and then uh, after I, around the time I got married, uh, the church that I was at then with, with Kelly was, again, very much about expository preaching, and that, that just is really hammered home the idea that, you know, you go through scripture and scripture, you know, it is, it has meaning, not just to me, but, you know, you go through it and you don't skip over the parts that, ah, that doesn't really, you know, that's not relevant to me. And it doesn't kind of doesn't matter how particularly relevant it might seem to me. It's like, there's this truth that's there that I need to, although as a good reform thinker, let me quickly say, the Bible doesn't contain truth. It is truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's all truth. You know, even stuff that at first glance doesn't seem particularly relevant to me personally. So I would say, you know, just the, the teachers that I sat under as a younger person and then and continue to sit under, you know, at, at Grace, um, you know, that kind of that kind of teaching. And I continue to get insights about this kind of thing. Um, I. Uh, not too, just a few years ago, the first time I re- remember hearing this notion, there's a, there's a kind of a Baptist uh, notion that's called soul competency. And it's kind of like the idea that every individual can read the Bible for himself and interpret it for himself. Mm. And I just, I begin to see the dangers of that, you know, like it's not just, oh, I can read it and it means to me what it means to me. And it might mean to you what it means to you, but it has a meaning. Yeah. which I might or might not ultimately ever know. And I, you know, uh, but rather than focusing on the individual, which is what it seems to me that notion of soul competency does, the focus should be on the word mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, that's actually a relatively postmodern way of, of reading. So it's definitely, uh, I don't want to get too philosophical, which is my, my bias, but um there's a there's a difference between you know reader's intention and authorial intention. Right. And the scriptures, as authored by God, have an authorial intent that is not something we can adjust or massage. Like it is what it is. And so that that's I think part of that shift is instead of approaching the scripture with the reader's intent of this is what I want to get out of this, rather approaching the scripture as letting God speak, letting the author's intent move to us instead of us trying to move towards him with our intentions brought to the word. Yeah. It's about, it's an interpretation is less important, you know, than the meaning. Let me, yeah. let me just real quickly say, this is a slight tangent, but there's a talking about gaining insights as we go along. There's this, an author named John Lennox, who is a, uh, a Cambridge mathematician and he's written several books. Some little short books are very interesting um, the first one of his that I read is called Seven Days That Divide the World or Separate the World, something. It's yeah. about creation and creationism and the different views of that. 
And obviously, I don't want to get into that here. But but he makes a point right at the beginning of that book of you need to read scripture and see what it says, mm-hmm. you know, not what not how you interpret it, not what you think about it, but what it actually says. Yeah. And he goes into this uh, idea of, you know, what's a day and different people have different ideas about what day means. But let's look at what scripture says rather than, well, I think this, so I'm going to interpret the word day this way. Well, mm-hmm. I think that. So I'm going to interpret the word day in a different way. Well, what does the Bible actually say? Yeah. So that's that to me, that's just crucial. Yeah. 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 And the one that the the verse that really grabbed my attention towards this question was already you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Yeah. You know, I came to that, like mm. I said, feeling very unclean. And so it was attractive to me. But I'm thinking in my in my English American 21st century head going well, I was spiritually unclean, and now I want to be spiritually clean. And Jesus speak just his words to me just makes me clean. And I go, ah, that, you know, what's the, that feels great. I'm clean now. What, you know, but the context is there's a purpose. And cleaning could indicate that cutting back, that pruning. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that preparing. And there's a reason for that. And that's to grow grapes. That's it. You know, that's what he's talking about here. Not that that I have a better feeling about myself, you know, but, yeah. you know, at the end of the day. So that leads right That's into good. the next question. Um, there sure is a lot of remaining and abiding in things going on here, right? Yeah. Um, I want to know what I need to do as an American, you know, that's an American do. I want to know how it can be active. Um, but Jesus reminds the disciples that he chose them, which reminds that he, you know, reminds me that he chose me. In other words, the do is already done, right? Yep. I now just remain. I abide. I dwell. What does that look like? You know, if we read chapter 13 over uh, and through 17 over and over, you know, and we link it back to the prologue, in the beginning was the word. You know, I think that whole remain, you know, remaining is just like Bert said, we get this steady stream of nourishment from his words or from his word. When we do that, we are remaining in him. Um, but that's a very active type of waiting, you know. Yeah, so that's a difficult place, I think, for us to exist is to be waiting as an American, you know, to be remaining, abiding, just dwelling. So, um, you know, on that note, I thought maybe we could talk about and share with with the uh, congregation here. Um, what does your structure look like for ensuring that you come to the word routinely? Um but also, you know, share that, but with kind of also the, the thing that really brings you back for more. You know, discipline is one thing. Okay, um, I got up, I did my routine, and so forth. But as we come to the word routinely, you know, first of all, how do you work that into your life? What does it look like for you? But then what is it that keeps bringing you back and feeding that routine? Even if you've read the Bible over and over and over, cover to cover, 
Well, I think that um, related to that, like the reading of the word over and over, um, you know, cover to cover, the annual reading of the scripture, like Brad participates in and encourages all of us to do um, that, you know, regular encountering of the word, there's still layers upon layers, no matter how many times you've done it. Um, and so I've loved keeping the prologue, like you mentioned, kind of in my mind while reading through the rest of John, because it's uncovered a layer that I didn't notice before. And I've read John before. Um, and so thinking about the prologue of what, what John is saying there about Jesus being light, about being the word and all those things, and then seeing those things come back up again here in 13 through 17, like you were saying, the, this farewell discourse, which is Brad also kind of reminded us, it's a, you can almost see it as a chiasm, as the structure of, uh, you know, A at the beginning and A at the end reiterated um, for emphasis. B right after that, but B right before the end, again reiterated. And then C sitting right in the middle is the pinnacle of this kind of teaching. And that's what chapter 15 is, is this idea of remaining in, in Jesus, abiding in him, letting the words of that he, he's made us clean through these words. Like all this stuff wrapped up in 15 is like the peak of this whole discourse that he's been giving. And I, I don't know that I would have picked up on that reading it uh, even all the way through again last year or next year. Uh, I'll get something else as I read through the scripture and encounter it again. Because for me, the thing that brings me back is the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Like my own natural desires are limited and fallen and confused. Um, but in those times that I am uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to turn my affections toward Jesus, it doesn't feel like work to go back to the scripture. It doesn't feel in any way cumbersome or troublesome or, um, or awkward, but rather I, it's such this weird paradox of he stirs in me the desire to continue to be in the word. I think something that this past year especially uh, has helped me a lot is, you know, we're talking about getting the focus off of uh, yourself. And so if you thinking about like, I don't know, not everyone would want to do this, but, you know, if you keep some kind of a journal um, as you read through scripture, rather than thinking of the journal as these are my thoughts for myself, if you think of the journal as, like you're going to give it to someone, someone specific, you know, like I am, these are my thoughts about this for my son, Peter, for example, which is what I just did. You know, I just, I went through all the whole Bible over the, took me a little more than a year, I will say, but not much more than a year. Um, and this is what I'm thinking. And, and I've, I've told him, you know, and I gave it to him. I was like, you know, this is not like a definitive commentary. This is like me saying, here's what, I'm going through right now in my life and how the scripture is informing that. Um, but it really helped me just, instead of just thinking, what do I think about this? It's like, what would I want to tell this other individual about it? Did you use the ESV journals for that? Or what did you use for that? No, I, I used a um, new living translation uh, journaling Bible. Cool. I don't know if there are such things. It's like, it's sort of like those those journals, but it's a whole Bible, yeah. and it's not like the yeah. outside edges are lined space. 
kind of like wider than a normal book would, you know, slightly wider. Mm-hmm. So um, that, and, and I, you know, so just, I was always thinking, frankly, I mean, my, my focus, not again, not just on myself, what do I think, but what do I want someone else to know? about this and what what is the spirit telling me that i can relate to someone else so almost like a evangelical you know take on reading through scripture yeah that's that's awesome and you know for me it's like the routine is you know basically when i lay down um read before i go to sleep kind of thing um the bible on your nightstand type of type of uh you know, situation. Um, one of the things that keeps coming, keeps me coming back though, is instead of like really drilling down to a verse or a few verses and really like digging in, you know, there's a time for that for me, but just kind of like taking the blinders off and really stepping back. And every time I read like through a chapter, I'm going to skim the prior chapter and go to the next one. And if it's a shorter book, I may even skim the whole book really quickly, you know, and give it context. And then sometimes I find myself even going like book to book and just reminding myself, wait a second, you know, it says this in Joshua. Well, I just read about Noah and it said this or it was really, yeah, um, like they didn't destroy the Canaanites and Joshua. Well, Noah says, in you know that Canaan, Canaan will always be a slave to Shem, or or it was Shem, him and Japheth. But Japheth was who Canaan came from, and you know I was like, wait a second, I remember that over there, and this over here, and it's just like this big, big story, you know, and it all has one like purpose at the end of the day, and. Jesus says, remember, I chose you. I've loved you. I've given my life for you. No one has been more love for another than he laid down his life. And it's about, it, it's so ironic because it's not about me, but then it's about me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you don't get to just how much it is about you until you realize it's not about you. You know, you're caught up in it. That's that's what keeps bringing me back. And, um, mm. you know, it's not a perfect story, of course, but the discipline and the, and the Holy Spirit, it all works together to take us, you know, take us deeper at the end of the day. Yeah, I did a lot of cross-referencing because I, I used a, just a plan that I found. It was like a book at a time um, reading plan, you know, that took me through the year. And you were basically reading, it was really two books at a time. You were reading some in, uh, and it, you know, uh, two different books kind of at the same time. And it, and it kind like of- Old Testament, New Testament type thing? Well, it flip, flip so you might be, it's kind of like the second reading was kind of like wisdom literature. So it was either Psalms, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Isaiah, I think were the kind of the second reading. And then the first reading was just flip-flopping back and forth, like Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, Mark, you know, kind of just back and forth. Um, But I was just making all these cross-reference notes. And and I would say 
you know, I found this plan online, you know, whoever, some person made it up, but the Holy Spirit worked through it. So I could say, I just read in Joshua, you know, what he said, and now I'm here reading in Hebrews and why. And so the margins are full of these notes about see Joshua 37, 12, you know, where this prophecy is fulfilled or where this comment is made. And even things that are, you know, apparent, you know, difficulties, contradictions and things. Well, what about this? You know, this seems to say this. There's a lot of that in the Psalms, it seems to me, you know, like there's especially that I always struggle with the, you know, the angry Psalms where David is saying, what is the word? Is it imprecatory? Yep. Yep. The angry ones where he's saying like, oh Lord, you know, just smash my enemy's teeth out and throw them into the pit forever and all that, you know, and like, how do you reconcile that with love your enemies, you know, forgive those who despitefully use you and all that, you know, those things can be reconciled uh, or, and certainly will be all someday. But it, you know, when you're reading the words of Jesus and the words of some imprecatory Psalm of David, that's an interesting <laughs> yeah. position. That's good. Try to work through well, I gave myself a prompt uh, for the message that I, I didn't, you know, lay out there specifically, but I gave myself a prompt, uh, Terry, listen and diligently wait. Um, like I said, I didn't really develop that idea much, but uh, I really like to think about the shades of meaning in the words remain or abide as, uh, you know, as Terry, you know, hang out patiently, don't rush away. And as you tarry in the word, you know, listen carefully, pay attention, mm. uh, read each word carefully. Um, I, I, I found that I really enjoyed putting myself in the middle of the action. You know, like I'm, I'm actually there. I see the sights, you know, smell the smells, try to, try to get, get a sense of the feel of what's going on, you know, the whole setting. And, um, you know, while you tarry and listen, let your activity be in the form of basically active waiting. Like, hmm. you know, we just talked about all this prophecy fulfilled, these connections, these par- paradoxes. Basically, I'm waiting, but I'm doing so actively. I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm studying up on the things that, I, that, see, that I'm seeing. You know, what does this mean? Like, you know, the, I, you're clean because of the words I speak to you. What does that mean? Um, keeping your wicks trimmed, so to speak, you know, just staying, staying prepared. And then talking about the story, that's a way, that's a great way of staying active while we wait. Just tell the story um, to whoever wants to listen, you know? Um, And ultimately I think it's about staying ready for the King's return at the end of the day. If there's nothing that has grown in me uh, through that connection to the vine. It's just year after year after year, just a, a deeper and a deeper and a deeper um, desire for his return, you know? Mm. We're going to see him. May it yeah. be tonight. You know, and the, the waiting, it's sort of like even in just a, a you know, a everyday life situation it's like if if you have to wait for something you have to wait to get your oil changed or something like that you know what what should you do you know while you're waiting for your oil to get changed should you just bury your face in your phone should you take a nap you know 
Um, there's all kinds of things you could do, but, you know, try to be observant of the world around you, you know, see, you know, what, what could I learn, you know, from this situation? I try to think that whenever something bad happens that makes me wait, uh, like, you know, I don't, you get a flat tire or something like that. Or quarantine, you know, yeah, well, like some <laughs> hypothetical waiting situation such as, <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, well, rather than just saying, this is terrible. This shouldn't be happening. It's like try to focus on, well, what, what can I be learning from this? Mm. You know, what, you know, why is this happening? But not so much as why me, you know, that kind of attitude, but like, what is God doing? What is God saying? If you come from the, you know, the, the perspective that God is in control of everything and sovereign, then everything from the flat tire to the nationwide quarantine is under his sovereignty. Mm. Um, and so rather than complaining or just kind of vegetating, you know, I like the idea of active waiting. It's an interesting concept. You know? You're waiting. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're not doing, 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 but you're also not just, you know, zoning out and watching Netflix or whatever. Mm. Some Netflix is okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In moderation. Yeah, speaking of that, I uh, I got a movie waiting on me. No. Yeah. <laughs> I catch um, up on my... Yeah, exactly. Um, well, guys, it's been great, uh, you know, sharing these ideas and talking about, you know, what, what this passage, you know, means to us, but the way that it really opens up an area, area of our life and the way that it shifted our paradigms and the way we think over the years. Um, so I appreciate your time and we'll look forward to um, elbowing up soon, fist pounding, <laughs> um, air pound right now, right? Yeah. So um, glad we could be together and look forward to next time. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.